right on. Welcome to Circuitous Conversations with Bill and Dan, episode 82 for Wednesday, April 25th, 2012. I am Bill Wadman. And I'm Dan Gottesman. And, uh, I have a cold. Or, no, I don't have a cold. I have allergies. Hmm. You don't sound that bad. I don't. I sound, I feel stuffed up. Hmm. It's not coming through. Well, that's a, that's a good thing then. Yeah. Uh, you know, I was, I was down in Austin, Texas last week. Uh huh. Have you been to Austin, Texas? Uh, I have never been to Austin, Texas. It's an interesting place. Because uh, it's sort of in the middle of this big, giant state of Texas, which is generally very uh, right wing. Mm -hmm. But it's like it's the capital of Texas. And yet it's kind of like this little blue bubble inside of Texas. Blue bubble, huh? Yeah. Like there's a lot more more liberal people. Oh, blue. They got you now. And it's got the live music and the barbecue and the whole thing. Uh huh. It's a nice place. I've heard that. Uh, I've heard many people say that that uh, Austin is sort of like the the cool town uh, in uh, in Texas. Yeah, it, it might be. If I couldn't live in New York or San Francisco, it might be sort of the like. If I had to live away from the coasts, mm-hmm. I'd probably live there. And I'm kind of glad my sister doesn't listen to this podcast because otherwise, <laughs> she'd be killing me for that. So I would probably go back to Chicago. Do you ever have the the thing where if you 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 know like my sister used to live in austin so i've been there a half dozen times in the past couple years Mm -hmm. and when i was down there with her it always felt like she was trying to get me to love it Mm. and so therefore i didn't love it oh sure i know that feeling you know what i'm talking about that happens to me more with like uh with music yeah someone's like trying to get me to listen to this band or like this song or, or this movie or this tv show and uh yeah, and you have this like as soon as someone try, tries like forcing something on you, you you know you develop this like instant reflex resistance thing, which which might not necessarily even be justified, but that's just sort of like you know it's like when someone pokes you, you you know you instantly go on the sort of defense, right? You know, even even if they might not have even intentionally poked you, you know, like it might have just been a, a, an accident, but all of a sudden it's like whoa, I'm watching out for the next one of those because um, that's not what I liked. Yeah, and so I, I, I sort of enjoyed Austin more now that my sister has moved to D.C. Because hmm. she, it wasn't because she wasn't there, but it's just because then I could just enjoy it on its own merits. And hmm. it wasn't like somebody trying to sell it to me all the time. Yeah, I, I buy it. It was, uh, it, was, it, was, uh, it was an interesting trip. Uh, oh, before we get in, oh, I'll get to that at the end. So I'm in Austin. Uh-huh. And uh, I got a hold of uh, Brian Brushwood. Um, uh, who's that? Who is a, uh, he's, you know, he does a couple, a few different podcasts on Twit. Hmm. Um, he does NSFW show hmm. and frame rate. The one with hmm. Tom Merritt about TV shows and stuff. Hmm. And, um, he also, uh, does a thing called scam school where he has a podcast where he teaches people like basically, I think like sort of bar tricks and that kind of stuff. Oh, Okay. Uh, I haven't watched it, but apparently it's really good, and they're coming out with a book. He also quite literally wrote the book on fire eating. Huh. So uh, I said, you know, he was he. I know he lived down in Austin, so I got a hold of him, and I said, hey, you know, let's take some pictures. Uh, 
And, uh, and this was like last year I wrote him cause I knew I was going down to visit my sister and like, didn't work out. Timing didn't work out, whatever it is. So I said, I was going down again for Heather's work. And I said, Hey, Brian, you know, like I'm coming down again, let's make this happen. So went back and forth, got on the phone and he ended up coming over to the hotel, uh, last week, which, well, it's just kind of, it's always interesting meeting people that you've seen a bunch of times and listen to a bunch of times. Cause I listen to some of his stuff and you know, he's on a lot of these things I watch. Mm. Um, and there he is like in the hallway walking up to me, hmm. you know, at the yeah. hotel. It's very odd. Yeah. I can imagine. Um, so he comes to the hotel room and we, uh, so I ended up shooting some portraits of him, which is why I borrowed a couple of your speed lights last week, which I'll get to in a second, which worked mm-hmm. out great, but I'll get to it, a weird little thing. So, um, he comes to the hotel room, and, and we. It, w- my idea was to have him eating fire as as if it was dinner. Mm-hmm. You know, to so have, like, a plate in front of him and water and salt and pepper shaker and, like, have him, like, with a plate of fire, like, eating it. Sure. Sounds cute. Yeah, it was cute. So I got a couple of your SB80Xs. Is that what they are? DXs. DXs. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, and then I brought one, you know, normal Canon, whatever it is, the 580. Uh-huh. Flash, and then I used your little five by eight softbox. Uh-huh. What is that? The, the Westcott Micro Apollo. There you go. You know, it's weird that thing because it, it tends to it's it doesn't stay open very well. Stay open. Well, like I had it. Well, first of all, I didn't have Velcro on the sides of my thing, so it was just sort of pinned between well, on the sides. Well, there's your problem, dude. Yeah, <laughs> I guess you're right. Yeah, I gave you two speed straps with this flashes. I know, but I forgot to put it on the thing. Oh, okay. <laughs> anyway, it, it, it worked out fine, and I used that to trigger the two SB80s optically. Uh-huh. But I only brought one stand because I wasn't planning on, you know, I wasn't bringing a ton of gear. I just wanted to do, like, as minimal as I could go. So I had I had one on a light stand behind him, and then one literally sitting on top of the standing lamp in the corner. Nice. That I pulled out, you know. Sure. Uh, at about the same height. And, uh, and it worked out fine, and those were two just direct flashes from from rear above a little bit mm-hmm. uh, and then the softbox on the front one a little bit and it worked out pretty well it just shows you what you can do with a really small kit yeah. you know how little you actually need it's true uh, I brought an umbrella I didn't even end up using it I brought you know a diffuser reflector I rarely use that mm-hmm. um, but it worked out really well but it was, and I'm, I'm going to edit the pictures later today because I haven't had a chance to go through them but on the way down and the way up at the airport you had packed your SB80s in one of those Velcro sheets. Oh, you used that thing? I used. I just. I just stuck the pouch you gave me. Oh, that was in, a mistake. In the back of my. Yeah. So what do you think happened? They would set off. They would. They can't X-ray through that. It's got foil in it. Oh, it has foil in it. Yeah. Oh, because that's made for film. It's just yeah. It's it's, it's actually got. It's made for thermal, so, so to keep things cool or warm too. Ah, that's really funny. Okay, yeah. so that's why they kept doing it. So I had it in the back of my thing, yeah, and in both directions they had they had to pull all my stuff out. Sure, to go through that. I figured it was because it was two big chunky things with batteries and electronics right next to each other. I've had like I've traveled with like my you see my little lunchbox with four or five of those in there. Yeah, they don't Um, say anything. That's made it. No, it's made it through without a problem. I guess you're right. Maybe maybe it was the visual stuff. That'd, That'd be my guess. But uh, but it was so we were going to originally do this at his place, but he's so far out of town. The cab ride because I didn't have a car down there would have been crazy. So he just came to me and we did it in the hotel room. So he's just like, oh, I, th- I think we could do this. Get me a wet 
ta- uh, uh, cloth, like a um, washcloth. Mm. So I dampen a washcloth, and I guess they use naphthalene, essentially, like a Coleman campfire stove stuff. Hmm. And he's lighting fires in the hotel room. <laughs> Safe. Yeah. But nice. you know what? Again, he literally wrote the book on this stuff, so, you know, he's better at it than I am. Um, and they were little tiny fires in the grand scheme of things, which he puts out with his hands, you know. Mm-hmm. this guy's like, well, he puts them out with his mouth, too, I guess. But, sure. you know. Um, but anyway, it's just kind of funny. So I won't name where we stayed down there because I don't want to get in trouble, but it uh, it worked out pretty well. So uh, I'll, I'll be coming up with those things in a little while. Sweet. It's a good time. I, you know, I like I kind of like working with the little kits sometimes. Yeah, it's fun. I, I like it, too. I have to get me some of those SB80DXs. You like them, huh? Yeah, you know what's nice about them? They do the uh, the quarter or the third of a stop thing. Yeah. Which is kind of nice. Sure. Because you don't always want a full stop. It's true. You know, you just want a little want a little kick. I don't know. So those are coming. Hey, uh, what do you think about this Apple stock price jumping up and down like crazy? Uh, you know, business as usual, if you ask me. I mean... I uh, I guess I've been following it now for a few years, and I can I can say that uh, as long as I've been paying attention, it's pretty regular for the stock to take a bit of a dive around uh, any any kind of product announcement. Like you know, when MacWorlds used to be around, and you know, there's a big keynote and they'd announce something, um, you know, it always take a little bit of a dip or sometimes a big dip. Um, and uh, the same would go for any time they have the uh, the quarterly, you know, announcements, the financial announcements. Yeah. And then, and then, surprise, surprise, you know, anywhere from a day to a week later, it comes right back up, and sometimes even more. Yeah. It's it's uh, it seems to be a regular routine. I'm sure if we pulled up a chart, and you know, sometimes you can they make those charts with with the with you know significant dates in them. I'm sure yeah. there there could be some uh, pretty obvious. Correlation. Correlations are going on here. It's funny because it's the exact opposite of what most people usually say, which is the old, what's the old adage? Um, uh, buy on the rumor, sell on the news. Oh, is that what they say? Yeah, but buy that, low, sell high. Well, it is that too. Mm. But but it's funny because it's like every time it's coming up, people are like, oh, well, you know, the, the, the reports are coming out and uh, there's no way they could sell more. And then they go sell more. Yeah, what it, I found I mean, interesting did is Did you that see the, the, the results, though, dude? Like, I think I, I didn't... Again, I don't really pay super close attention to this, but I, I did see someone tweet something along the lines, or maybe it was in a blog. They made, like, 94% more money this year than last year, if that's possible. Yeah, something like that. That's kind of quarter. insane. No, it is. It is crazy. And they now they have $110 billion. <laughs> it's like... In the bank. Yeah. Uh, it, yeah, it's just... It's kind of stupid. Yeah. Uh, what, what I found interesting, though, was, like, half... I think it was a little over half of all of their revenue is iPhones now. Yeah. I, well, iOS in general, I think. Yeah. And then Macs actually it went up like 2% yeah, year well, over year. Like, yeah. But I think part of that is that a lot of people are waiting for new machines because the new, because a lot of, most haven't been refreshed in a long while. It's true. Uh, especially, man, those Mac Pros. I don't know. Who knows? And did you see the rumor that uh, the 17 inch is going away? Uh, I didn't see that one. Yeah, apparently uh, some people say that it's probably on its way out. So you know, you were talking about getting one. Well, I'm not getting. I wouldn't get a new one. I would get. Oh, you'd know. get an old one. Yeah, I'm waiting for the ref- the refurbs to get cheap. If I can get myself an i7 
17 inch for under two grand, I will be, I'll be happy. I seven, 17 inch for under two grand. What are they going for now? It's like 25, 26. Oh, all right. Well, that's not that bad. No, but, uh, it's, yeah, it's, it's interesting. And speaking of, uh, the new, well, everyone's waiting for these new Ivy beard processors. Mm-hmm. Everyone. Well, okay. Not everyone, <laughs> but nerdy people who are into computers and looking to buy a new one. Like um, me, you, for, for example, yeah. exactly. Uh, Intel, they, 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 the uh, what would they be called? The um, uh, Ivy Bridge uh, non-disclosure, the NDA oh, of everyone is was up the other day on Monday. Ah, so all the reviews came out. Neat. Yeah, and, and thumbs up. Good stuff. Uh, okay, so apparently it's about ten percent faster at the same clock rate as Sandy Bridge. So, huh. like, minor adjustments to, you know, the instructions per clock. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, uh, overall, it uses a lot less power. That's good. Than the old one? Yeah. However, here's the weird thing. The old Sandy Bridge chips, if you got the high-end ones with the K at the end, which meant that they were, like, the, the high-end ones that were unlocked. Mm, K-rad. Yeah, exactly. Uh, you could you could bump up what's called the multiplier to, to overclock them. Mm-hmm. And the Sandy Bridge chips overclocked like monsters. So, like a three point five gigahertz chip, you could people were overclocking them to up to five gigahertz. Huh? Right? Crazy. Well, almost twice. Yeah. Crazy stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, like easily like a fifty percent overclock, which is yeah. nuts. Um, and and the temperatures were actually not that bad, but you had to pump a lot of voltage into them to get them to do it. Mm. And there's a certain like curve where you put more voltage in, but you get less out. Less, right, so, uh, so you got to uh, find the sweet spot. Right. There's a sweet spot in the middle somewhere. So apparently, though, with Ivy Bridge, the, the, it's now down to 22 nanometers, which is why it runs uh, with less power. Right. Because everything's smaller. You can't push it as hard. You can't push it as hard, but not just because it's, well, for two reasons. One, because it's smaller, which means all that stuff is in a smaller surface area. Right. So getting the heat off of it is harder. Right. But the other thing, apparently, is that they've now switched to what are called trigate transistors. They're actually, like, in three dimensions. So they're not flat planar transistors. They're more like blades that go vertical. Hmm. And because of that, a lot of the surface area is, like, on the sides and stuff. Hmm. Be, you know, because they're not just a flat thing. Mm-hmm. And so it's really hard to get the heat out of this thing because of the die shrink and because of this 3D transistors. So people are overclocking them, but the sweet spot is, like three or is like 4.5 gigahertz hmm. and you can't ramp up the voltage very much or else the thing goes to like 100 degrees centigrade huh so it's it's like it's a little interesting and it's sort of a mixed bag overall uh but uh it's it's you know it's a lot of people are talking about it but apparently a lot of people are even like undervolting them and stuff to keep the heat down it'll be interesting so uh I've, i'm waiting for them to be available at new egg which is should be in the next uh week the 29th apparently hmm. um which which is kind of cool so with that in conjunction with uh, the news from last week which was that all these new gigabyte motherboards pretty much work out of the box with power management in mac os um we'll be able to build these hackintoshes that are pretty tight for pretty cheap Sweet. Uh, still crazy fast though man all the stuff that's coming out is so fast. Yeah, and I wonder if, I mean, you said 10%. I mean, so when you build your new machine and you do your benchmarks and your testing and all that stuff, it's it's yeah. ultimately not going to be a whole hell of a lot faster than what you've got now. Uh, no, but because I don't have a Sandy Bridge chip. Mine's old. Mine's, uh, it's 10% faster than the last generation. My generation, mine's like 
three generations ago, two generations ago. Which one is it then? I have an i7-920. Oh. Well, it's still an i7, though, so it's not that old. It is an i7, but that's like saying I have a MacBook Pro. doesn't mean, you know, it could be a MacBook Pro from five years ago, in which case it's not that fast. still an Intel, though. Yes. No, it's 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 a fine. <laughs> my current machine, I think there's. What do you guys use? Uh, like Cinebench or one of those things? I don't know. Um, there's some, you know, spec. Uh, oh, MacBench. I think that's one of them. Okay. I, whatever. I forget what the thing is that everyone uses. Yeah, but mine comes out at like nine thousand. Where the new machines, it will be up, over nine thousand. Yeah, like fourteen thousand, which is you know a bit of a boost. Plus, I can sell my old machine for about half what this new one costs. Mm-hmm. So it's sort of a something of a no-brainer. Mm-hmm. Anyway, just interesting. Nice. I don't know. Hey, uh, what do you think of these pictures this guy took of his daughters? Um, they're, I, they're all the rage right now. Yeah, for sure. Um, I, I've actually, it's funny, I've been following him, or he, he's been, a, I should say, a contact, I guess, of mine uh, on Flickr. Um, for years, uh, I first discovered his stuff on uh, through Strobist. Um, you know, so when I first discovered David Hobby's website, like I don't know, Jesus, four four years ago now, yeah. must, must be. Um, he was one of the contrib- you know. So so when Strobist first started, it was a much smaller community, and he had a he was very Flickr centric. So he you know he'd post stuff on his blog. And then he very, uh, not aggressively, but very actively encouraged people to join um, the Flickr, the Strobist Flickr group, and more importantly, uh, the, the, the Flickr, the Strobist Flickr um, forum, I guess, or conversation. You know, like Flickr, I don't know if you know this, but Flickr also has Boards. a whole, like a whole, you know, forum bulletin board system. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, if, and if you have your own group, you can have your own little sort of sub sub forum within it. And so when I was first getting started and, you know, c- comparing notes with people and that whole thing, um, I was p- paying a lot more attention to what other photographers were doing. And, uh, he had this rule where if you want, if you post, if you're posting a shot and you're going to tag it with the strobus tag, the, the rule is that you have to include the lighting uh, information, not a diagram, just, just a rundown of what you, what you used. Okay. And, uh, and this guy, was I guess just kind of getting started as well that back then four or five years ago, and he was he was posting stuff of pretty much the same quality, you know, same same composition, same overall finish, looking what have you. Um, although he didn't he didn't have as much equipment. If you go looking back, he was just basically using Canon speedlights. Um, but his stuff was really good, and I'm like that that's that's really that's really good. So uh, so I just added him as a as a contact, and you know, as he updated stuff, it would uh, it would appear in my my Flickr photo stream and I would, I would keep up with it. Um, but I think he stopped posting the Flickr now. Um, or at least I, I don't have, I don't remember seeing anything any recent, very recently, but, uh, but I do know that he has this blog where he's been basically documenting the growth of his, of his two daughters, you know, like so you can, you go back. They're cute. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They're definitely, I mean, they're little, you know, little Chinese babies. Um, they're going to, you know cute. what it is with them too. It's like the, okay. For those who haven't seen this stuff, uh, we'll put it in the show notes, but this father, this guy took pictures of his two little daughters in all kinds of crazy situations. Uh, he, you know, he gaff taped one of them to a wall, and the other one's kind of laughing at her. And they have one of them lost their tooth, so the other one's like holding pliers with the tooth in it, like acting like she pulled it out. Yeah, this is like, very campy. Yeah, they're they're cute and silly. Mm-hmm. Um, and the girls are just 
about the most adorable little kids you can see. Yeah. Uh, they're just adorable. Mm-hmm. Um, th- and you know what's nice about it is that the kids seem like they enjoy it. Yeah, well, I think that has to do with the fact that he sort of got them into it so, so early. Like, right. if you go if you go find him on Flickr and then dig into the, the oldest stuff, he's been shooting them since they were literal babies, like like crawling around. Right. Um, so it's safe to say that, if, I mean, if this guy's shooting one of these, you know, com- composites once a week, um, you know, they're going to get pretty cu- accustomed to it and they're comfortable in front of the camera and they're having fun. You know, yeah, it looks like they're having a really good time, and it just—it's a—you know—it's a good idea for something to do with your kids, right? Because I mean, not only do you get cool stuff to remember the, the the moment afterwards, but you're also making something with your kids. It's true, which I just think is a big—you know—I wish I had done more creative stuff with my parents growing up. Huh? I can't say that for about See, myself. <laughs> your father, but your father was into that kind of stuff. He was, but here's something interesting. Uh, and I was, it's funny because I was just having a conversation with somebody yesterday about this. Uh, not about this, but that, that got me thinking about this. So, um, one, one thing I've, I've noticed and I remember about being a kid, um, is that there comes a time when the kid, you know, as a kid, you, you sort of feel the need to separate yourself to distance yourself from your folks. Okay. You know, and, and I don't think it's universal. Like it's not this, it d- doesn't happen to everybody at the same time and in the same way. But I think it, it's safe to say that, you know, if like in this example, for example, like with this, with this guy um, who takes the pictures of his girls, I wouldn't be surprised if at some point, like maybe, maybe it'll happen when, when, when the oldest one turns, I don't know, 10 13. or 13. Yeah, exactly. Once she gets to the, the peer pressure, um, age that she, she will will rebel or just you know or just be not into it you know like feel this need to 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 cut that um, off because you know just because I, I, like I said I think it's natural for everybody to sort of do that and I, I remember going through something like that when I was a kid and not not wanting to participate in stuff that my my folks um, you know thought I would like and who knows I very well might have liked but the the need to uh, to separate was was greater. Um, when it comes to with the stuff that I did with my dad, coincidentally, um, that didn't really kick in until I'd kind of gotten over that, I think, because I, I, I didn't really get into photography with him until I was like 16 or right. so. So I think. But these kids are still like they're little four and six. Yeah, or yeah, they're yeah. little. Um, but but I was, you know, just talking to someone else about how, you know, there's some some people who do tons of stuff with their children. But then you hear these stories about how. Oh yeah, well you know they grew out of it, you know, and now we don't do it anymore. And I, I don't know, sure. it just makes you wonder if if something like this can stick or, or not, or, or you know how how kids are going to turn out. Yeah, I guess I mean it, it, I think a lot of kids are different. There are still some people who never really rebelled from their parents and just sort of you know because their parents weren't they didn't need to be rebelled from, you know. Yeah, I guess. But I don't know. It's but it, I think, you know, it'll be interesting going forward. Yeah, I don't know. This is, but this thing has become a huge meme. Oh, has it? Oh my god, this was like spread like everywhere on Facebook last week. Oh yeah, I think my sister actually posted it on Facebook. Yeah, like your your sister's posting it on Facebook. That's when you know a <laughs> photographer, you know. Well, sure. Uh but it's uh I don't know, it's cute and I, I kinda like uh I kinda like some of his ideas. What I well again what I like about his his stuff is is that um it's really consistent, you know, even yeah. like from a composition standpoint, from a, from a finishing standpoint, like he has, the, he has been using the same look and feel like he's, you know, how, yeah, like if you look through his stuff, they all have that sort of like slightly desaturated sort of smoothish, you know, cannony, yeah. you know, look to it. 
Um, yeah. And 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 he hasn't ver- he hasn't strayed from that, which I think is is kind of nice. No, 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 it's true. Uh, but uh, we'll put the link in the show notes. But I kind I kind of liked, I don't know, creative kid photography because <laughs> uh, I you know I spent um, we stayed with uh, friends of my sisters for a night and went and had some barbecue while we were down in Austin. Uh, and we took pictures of their son Soren, who is like um, I don't know, twenty months mm-hmm. old. And last time we saw him, he he kind of looks like he looked like Winston Churchill. <laughs> he was like a year old. No, I love but that. He, yeah. But he's kind of just this like he just kind of had this like not scowl, but just sort of like this very serious face on all the time. Yes. And serious baby you know, is serious. Yeah, he just had that thing, and so um, it was really interesting. And apparently now he, he you know he's he falls down a lot because apparently like, when he runs he falls down, but his verbal skills are really good. Oh, so. You know, he'll do something, whatever it is, and I'll be like, I'm sorry, mommy. I'm sorry. <laughs> and he's like 20 months old, so he's like this little tiny guy, you know? That's funny. It's just, you try to put on his shoes, and his, he's kind of got like fat little feet, and you'd be like, too tight. Too tight. <laughs> Sounds cute. <laughs> it, it was it was pretty cute. And then I go down to D.C., so I get back from Austin. Mm-hmm. And a friend of mine from college uh, who lives in L.A. was in town, and he's like, oh, I want to, you know, we want to go see your sister. So a couple weeks ago, I, I bought tickets to go for Jonathan and I to go down to D.C. He was going to fly out of D.C. the next day, and then I was going to come back on the train. So I was trying to figure out a way to do this cheaply because I'd already spent a bunch of money going to Austin. And uh, and Heather, my partner, had uh, some two-for-one Amtrak passes, hmm. which is great. Buy one, get one free. Mm-hmm. So I called on the phone and uh, and and made the reservations, and the lady was super nice. If you ever have to deal with Amtrak on the phone, mm-hmm. the people are almost universally great. Hmm. Just FYI. Cool. So I get to the place the morning of the thing, and it was like $145 for both tickets, right? Because it was like a two-for-one. Mm-hmm. Um, the Acela, because we got the Acela, because I was like, oh, if it's two-for-one, I'll pay the extra little buck, and we'll go in style. Sweet. So I get down there in the morning and I'm waiting for Jonathan and I go up to get my tickets from the little machine and it's like, you can't pick them up here. You got to go to the counter mm. already. Number one, like, eh. cause, uh, Amtrak at Penn station is kind of a nightmare. Mm. Uh, so I go to the counter, I wait in the line, get up there. And the guy's like, do you have the coupon with you? Hmm. The one and that I was used like, online for the online, the one that I, I, on the phone oh, to the make phone. the reservation. And I was like, no, I didn't know that I needed it. And he's like, yeah, you need it. You can't get the two for one without it. Uh Oh, I'm like, so what do I have to do? He's like, well, you have to buy the other ticket. Oh, damn, dude. At today's prices, which is now $200. Oh, damn. That sucks. Yeah. And I was like, are you freaking kidding me? <laughs> like you people need to tell people that you need to bring it, you know, oh. on the phone, whatever it is. And so finally, like I, I got annoyed enough that he gave me the other one for a buck 45 too. But still, then it's $300 instead of $145. Yeah. Which is just painful when you're expect you know Wait, so this coupon was it a physical piece of paper it's a physical coupon yes oh, okay so it wasn't like an online thing that you could just pr- no. bring up on your phone or whatever right uh i had made the reservations but apparently you need to bring the coupon when you pick up the tickets which i was unaware of Bummer. which is just one of those things you know yeah it would be nice if, i mean that would be the kind of thing that they should like um print on the ticket or print on the coupon you know yeah you know and i have to look on the coupon because maybe somewhere in the fine print it does say you need to bring it but Mm. no one told me i needed to bring it Mm. so i just thought i was all set and i could just go to the machine like every other time sure you know sure sure uh just kind of a thing so we get down to dc and it's raining and so we decide to go to the ugar hazy center what's that 
it's um the, the so the the Smithsonian has you know sixteen museums or something yeah, like that's, that. It's big. Yeah, um, one of them is the Air and Space Museum, and it's great. The one on the mall, in fact, the one on the mall, I think, is the busiest museum in the world. Huh. Um, and it 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 basically you know it has Apollo eleven. It's got the Wright Brothers airplane. It's got the Spirit of St. Louis. You know, it's got all of the big giant things from space history. Mm-hmm. And, and and flying and that whatnot. You know? Sure. And so they have a lot of – Smithsonian only shows – what is it? Like 2% is the you know the thing they always say of, of the stuff that they have is out. Everything else is like in storage. Right. So the Air and Space Museum has all kinds of stuff that it can't put anywhere because it's too big. They're whole airplanes. Sure. You know? So a few years ago, I think it was like 10 years ago, some guy gave like $150 million – some guy named Ugar Hazy or something like that. I forget their official name. Hmm. Uh, let me see what it is. It is the Udvar Hazy Center. Huh. It's an interesting name. Right. So he, the guy goes. Uh, let's see. Let's see who he is. Uh, blah blah blah. Fairbanks. Blah blah blah. Yeah. Some guy gave all this money, which is just kind of crazy. Oh, here we go. Steven Udvar Hazy. He is a Hungarian. He was the CEO of Air Lease Company former CEO basically he one of the two largest aircraft leasers in the world hmm. he was the 400 400th richest person in the world with a net worth of 3.2 billion dollars wait wait for the 400th richest person only has 3.2 billion dollars jesus yeah right i mean no, that, that's that's nuts woe for him yeah anyway uh so he gave 66 million dollars to the smithsonian and they built this annex at Dulles Airport, which is out west of Washington, D.C. Basically a giant hangar at which they could land all these planes and drive them into the hangar, and it's a big air and space museum out by Dulles. Hmm. Pretty cool. Yeah. So up until recently, so the kind of stuff that's there, the original Boeing 707 prototype, um, the Enola Gay, Hmm. you know, the airplane that dropped the atomic bomb. Sure, sure, all those Uh, stuff. A a British Airways Concorde is there. You know, like really amazing stuff. Sure. Uh, Prototypes of all these fighter jets, like the The the, the X-35. Now, the Wright Brothers is actually on the mall. Oh, oh. Uh, This this one's like the bigger stuff. I guess you're talking about in storage. Uh. Oh no! You're talking about in this warehouse, which is not quite a museum, but it's still a museum technically because it's got all this old stuff. It's a big giant hangar, and it's it's a it's a real museum. It's just huge. It's like literally an aircraft hangar that they've turned into a museum. Cool. Uh, it's pretty cool. Yeah, the Wright Brothers flyers on the one in the mall, like on in Washington D.C. proper, mm. but all the rest of this big stuff is here. And one of the things that they had was the Space Shuttle Enterprise, which was the original prototype space shuttle that never flew into space, but uh, they did drop test with, so they put it on top of the 747, right. and then they disconnect, and the thing floats down and lands. Right. Um, so the first things they did was with this spatial enterprise, and they decided not to retrofit it for space. They decided to go to Columbia, which is, you know, and the rest is history. Uh, but this uh, prototype was at this, this hazy center uh, for the last six years or whatever. So last week... Uh, they f- NASA flew the space shuttle Discovery on the back of a 747 to Washington D.C. to replace Enterprise with Discovery, which is the oldest and the most senior of the space shuttle fleet, uh, to give it to the Smithsonian, which is both sad and exciting at the same time. Sure. Uh, and then they're taking Enterprise up here to New York, and it'll be on the uh, um, the deck of the um, 
what's the uh, Intrepid? Yeah, sure. Yeah, so it'll be up here. So anyway, they they swapped it out with Discovery, and uh, Heather and I went to see Discovery launch uh, about four years ago, three years ago, uh, one of the last Discovery launches. So it's sort of our uh, space shuttle no. in some ways, you know. Sure. So it landed there last week, and it's already on display. Like they brought it into the hangar, and there it is, uh, which was pretty freaking amazing i must admit like just looking at this spaceship that was in space for 365 days total you know mm-hmm. it's just amazing yeah it's kind Things of are big and you know what it's a spaceship too in a way that like you know like okay oh it's a little capsule it's whatever it is like this thing is looks like a spaceship like in a sci-fi movie you know i guess i mean it's the space shuttle right yeah i guess i guess you're just not a space guy like i am not as much because I look at that thing and I'm just like, that is so cool. So amazingly cool on so many levels. I don't know. Maybe that's just me. No, I, I'm not saying it's not cool. I just don't think it's it's as cool as you think it is. <laughs> I think it's, you know what it is? I have, I see it, you see it as, you know what? The space shuttle's always been there. Because as far as we know, you know, for you and I, yeah. the space shuttle's essentially been there since we were five or six. You know? Yeah. Uh, where in some ways in my mind, I think back and think of before the space shuttle was there <laughs> and kind of think, wow, that's actually really impressive that they built this thing that goes up and comes down as an airplane. Yeah, I, I guess so. I don't know. I have mixed res- mixed re- uh, reservations or feelings about... Uh, the space thing in general? Yeah. Um, it. I mean, I don't know. I feel like it's... It, it. It's a good thing. Don't get me wrong. I definitely think that there is some... Uh, <clears throat> some validity to uh, sending people up into space. That's definitely a, a cool thing. But um, what, what what gets um, what gets a little bit trickier is is um, how how expensive it is, how long it takes, and and then some of the some of the decisions in the way that these things get done and determined. You know, like the people who are making these calls and and then the way that they're executing them. <clears throat> it's just it's discouraging, man. It's like really frustrating and it's like oh man really you, you gotta i mean I'm, I'm actually what give me an example watch it uh just you know the the fact that we haven't been back to the moon yet um it's funny because right. again I'm, I'm i'm actually you know my own devil's advocate here it's like well we did it once like 50 years ago uh why don't we do it again um yeah but then it's like it was really expensive yeah but and then and, and, and then it's also like well what's the point dude what's up there not a whole lot you know it's like right. what, what, what's the what's the gain you know i mean we honestly the reason why we did it in the first place was to say that we did it you know it was like yep. we wanted to see if we could and and so we but did isn't, isn't isn't that enough in in some cases yeah it is but yeah. but man it's like geez that's that's pretty that's pretty out there you know and then i don't know I, I, my my thing is i think that if they're going to be making that kind of spending that kind of money and making that kind of uh, effort and they're doing this, obviously this is not what I'm saying. Isn't, isn't new um, is, um, is, is they should, you know, do it faster and cheaper and, and send robots first, you know, send, Well, that's basically what they're doing. Now. Yeah, I know. I know. Like I said, it's not news, but, um, but they're not, it just, I don't know. It just, it seems to take way too long and um, it's really expensive and, and at the end, at the end of the day, it's hard to justify. You know, it's like, well, you know, what, when it's that costly and that time consuming, well, what's the, you know, what's the, what's the take home? What's the payoff? Yeah. You know, what, what, I mean, don't get me wrong. I love the concept of doing things for the sake of doing them, but there's a there's a limit, you know, 
to uh, to that, and, sure. and it feels like this is hit, I mean, coming up against that limit. There's a certain argument to be made, though, and it's a, it's a bit of a sci-fi argument, which is that eventually humans are going to have to leave Earth because we're going to eat it all up. You know, I guess there's going to be too many humans and we're going to not have any room left. And eventually something's going to slam into us and it would be better for the survival of the species if we weren't just in one place. No, I hear that. I, I, I have a more fatalist view in that is that we'll, we won't really have much of a chance for that. <laughs> I think uh, the, the earth is going to finish with us before we we uh, we finish it, if that makes any Perhaps. sense. Perhaps. Yeah. But uh, it was funny because my nephew, Bert, was with us, and uh, we were trying to take – we were on, like, a balcony above the space shuttle, and my sister was trying to get a picture of me holding Bert with the space shuttle in the background, and Bert was – you know, I'm, I was holding him, and he would not turn towards the camera. He was just sitting there with his jaw dropped, mm-hmm. staring at the space shuttle, mm-hmm. and I was like, okay, that's kind of cool. He's, he's 22 months old, and he's just guffawed. By this machine that was built thirty something years ago. Sure. Well, I remember you know. feeling something like that when the first time I saw, um, I don't know if it was a Saturn rocket, but you know, they're they're yeah. the first time I saw a rocket on the ground. You know, I'm like, whoa, yeah, that that thing's yeah. pretty sweet. And if you go down to Florida and to um, uh, Houston now, they have uh, sort of rebuilt Saturn fives in Florida. It's hanging above you, mm-hmm. like the length of this giant long hangar, and you can like walk underneath the whole thing. Yeah, that's pretty cool it's very very cool stuff anyway just uh something uh something uh if you guys are ever down in dc go to the udvar hazy center to check it out uh out of dulles yeah it was it was definitely worth the wait and uh, you know i had some other time to kill uh on my way on the last day that i was there and i went up to the american art museum mm-hmm. which is another smithsonian museum and they had two things one of which you're going to be very excited about oh which was the art of video game hmm. exhibit, nice. which was actually really cool. I think so I've heard I played, about it. I, yeah, it's, it was written up, I think, in a bunch of magazines and newspapers and stuff. Mm-hmm. So I played uh, Super Mario Brothers on like a hundred inch projected screen. <laughs> Fun, yeah. But you know how in Super Mario Brothers you you hold down the B button and then you're kind of like hitting the A button with the edge of your th- like with the middle of your thumb to do a running jump. Yep. Yeah, sure. yeah. Whatever, whatever controller they were using, and it was original NES controller, it just wasn't... I, either I'm out of practice, or the controller is a little bum, because mm. it wasn't jumping when it needed to jump. Mm. And so I kept dying, which was very embarrassing, mm. because there's like people watching wah, wah. when you're playing. Yeah. <laughs> um, but what they had there was they had examples of all the different video games. They also showed a lot of like um, uh, um, test... Uh, not test. Um, concept drawings. Sure which were pretty cool. Uh, they had boxed stuff underneath glass. So let's say the manual to missile command uh-huh. or the box for Bard's Tale 3. Uh-huh. And I'm looking at it through the <laughs> through the glass and I took a picture of it because I'm like, I had that box. Sure you did. And now it's underneath the glass at the Smithsonian. Yeah, man. It's funny. <laughs> I wonder if the, the old virtual world, the company I used to work for, I, I was told that their first um, simulator cockpit, what one of them was sent down there. And I wonder if that was put on display for the show. Uh, it was not. It would. This was. Ve- it was funny because it was very um, uh, mainstream, commercial orientated. Mm. So th- you know, there was a room where you walked around, and it was sort of generation by generation. Oh, okay, so, so it was you know, more like home video games. Yeah, yeah. It was like you know, Pong. Uh-huh. Then you know, they had the Atari, Atari Nintendo, VCS. Yeah. They had sure. Nintendo sixty four. So there weren't any consoles. 
Uh, yeah, no, then there were... Uh, They're not consoles, you know, cabinets, big, the big, like, arcade cabinet. No, none of that. It was all, it was all home video games. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. Yes, yeah, this, this wouldn't be yeah. in there. This was a... And then a, they went, they went into, um, uh, what's it called, too, uh, uh, um, they did show some PC games and stuff. Oh, sure. But I, what I found most interesting was the fact that, you know, as, as each generation comes, a lot of us just kind of look at it and go, yeah, it looks better, but, you know, it's not that much better. And, you know, PlayStation 2 looked good. The old Xbox looked good, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. But when you look at it from two generations ago mm-hmm. or three generations ago, yeah, you start to see or, some you, big or you have it all in front of you and you go, holy crap, that looks good. Yeah. Or, or, oh, wow, remember when I used to be impressed by how Halo looked? Yeah. And then you're looking at Halo from 2001 or whatever it was, and you're like, eh, it's not that great. <laughs> you know? I guess, yeah. Uh, it was, it was, it was, I don't know, it was interesting to me. And a lot of dorky people walking around. Sure. Uh, but uh, supposedly it's supposed to travel, so I think it's supposed to get up here at some point. So I'm sure you'll get to go see it. The other thing they had uh, was uh, the Annie Leibovitz pilgrimage photographs, hmm. her, her most recent book, hmm. um, where she like went to all these famous people's houses and stuff and took pictures of Ansel Adams' you know, dark room and... George O'Keefe's bedroom and this kind of stuff. Oh, okay, um, and and it was it was you know some of the pictures were nice and some of the pictures were eh you know I, if this was like oh my name is Joe Smith and I took these pictures and I want to put them up at the Smithsonian it never would have happened mm. you know yeah it's because she's Andy Leibovitz right um, but what was what I found interesting was like first of all none of the prints were bigger than I don't know eighteen by twenty four you know. Okay. Like large prints in the grand scheme of things, but not huge prints. Do you think they were shot on film or digitally? Um, I would say digitally because I don't think that she shoots that much film anymore. Mm. Um, and it, 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 I guess the reason why I bring it up is that it's, it's sort of another example of like, okay, Annie Leibovitz doesn't need files that are 400 megapixels. You know what I mean? Like that, 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 People are not printing that. The amount of people who are printing big is so incredibly small. Yeah, it's gotten smaller. Yeah, and it, yeah, and it's gotten smaller. And so, you know, all these people on all these forums, and even people probably who listen to us who are bitching and moaning about their camera and stuff, it's like it. Look, this exhibit was not fancy. You know what I mean? Like the stuff, the stuff that she shot. I mean, she was probably shooting. I don't think with any flashes. It was all available light. Hmm. You know, um, some of the stuff was even a little out of focus, you know, or short depth of field because she was in such low light. Mm-hmm. But because it's not always about the photograph being perfect. No, it's about the event or it's about the, you know, the person yeah. or the or the situation, yeah. you know, like that yeah. kind of stuff. And yeah. sometimes you have to, the technical stuff uh, takes a lower priority. And it, I mean, it's this kind of the same way with uh, recording music well, and, and with you know, where documentation people try to make it perfect. You know? Documentation, yeah, it's like uh, th- yeah, that fo- that shot is out of focus and poorly composed. But dude, that is that guy shooting that guy. <laughs> you know, that's that's a pretty significant event. So we can yeah. Like, I look at the Z- <laughs> Zapruder film, man. I mean, come on, yeah, exactly, <laughs> yeah. And uh, you know, it's so it's you know, I was just looking at these pictures and I says, you know, these are not technically perfect. And they definitely weren't the Annie Leibovitz, you know, retouched to within an inch of their life things for Vanity Fair that everyone's normally sees, sure. you know. Um, it just goes to show you that her picture is pretty much out of camera. I'm sure they're retouched, but not to a crazy level, right. you know. Sure. Um, that her stuff out of camera looks just like your stuff out of, of camera. Of course it does. <laughs> and I think a lot of people think that there's something special about people. Well, I but mean, there really there, isn't. And just to play devil's advocate here, there, there are some people who are 
a bit special and who do have a higher uh, percentage, you know, who, who are just na- a little bit more naturally inclined to get those amazing shots out of the camera, you know, and, yes. but, but then again, th- a lot of that comes with, with time and practice and, and, you know, discipline and, and just, just, just keep, you know, keep doing it. You know, most, most of the yeah. photographers that I know that have that have been doing it for a really long time, you know, and, sure. and I mean, but at the same time, they, they had a drop of that. They had, they, they had a little bit of that from the get go, which is sort of what inspired them to get started in the first place, but they right. took that and they ran with it and they honed it and they got really good at it. Oh, I'm not saying that people don't improve and that some people aren't better photographers than no, others. Yeah. I guess I just mean that like technically yeah. the images that come out of these cameras for you or for Jay Maisel or for Annie Leibowitz or for me, they're all, they're all incredibly good and, and, and technically amazing. If you want them to be technically amazing, yeah. you know, if you take the time and have the light and whatever, it's true. Um, and it's just, it's like, just just take pictures. Stop worrying about what you got and what you're using to make the pictures. I don't know. A little bit of philosophy there in the middle. Kind of segues into your uh, your workshop thing, in a way. Oh, right, the workshop. Mm-hmm. So, you haven't mentioned that yet on the podcast. I have not, and I, I, I meant to last week. So uh, for those of you who are in New York City, uh, I've put together, I'm putting together a little workshop where I'm talking about lighting portraits. So we're going to do some available light stuff. We're going to do multiple lights. We're going to show you how to use what you got available to you. Um, uh, And this will be on Saturday, May 12th in the afternoon. Mm -hmm. Uh, So we're going to, yeah, we're going to talk about using diffusers and reflectors and umbrellas and speed lights. And I'm probably going to bring some big lights out there too. Uh, I'm going to get a model to come uh, be there for us to try all kinds of things out and everyone else can try, uh, their lighting and their systems and take some pictures. Um, and I'm going to show you some of the tips and tricks that I use, some things that I like to do that other people don't like to do. And I'm sure some things that I don't normally do that other people love, you'll learn those too. Mm-hmm. Um, so if anybody's interested, uh, you can go to billwadman.com slash workshop and uh and sign up so i think it's i think uh, i'm charging 250 for the afternoon uh and 50 bucks for the model to 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 help that thing uh happen and it's going to be very small i'm only going to have uh not too many people so it's not going to be a big giant thing where you're going to get lost in in some people it's going to be very very small because it's the first one i'm doing i just want to try it out so if anybody's interested uh go to billwadman.com slash workshop and you can learn more there yay uh, and there's going to be more coming up where I'm going to do. I think I'm going to do one about compositing yeah. portraits. Yeah, that'll be interesting. Which should be kind of fun. And then another one on overall workflow and post production and retouching mm-hmm. to sort of you know the the how my things get looks that they get. Sure. Uh, which I think will be kind of interesting. So those are coming up in a couple months as well. Sweet. Yeah, it's kind of exciting. Something different. Totally. You know? Yeah. Um. You you have anything new and exciting going on? Uh, new and exciting. Let's see. It's been a it's been a slowish week for me. Um, another I, I've been I guess I've been spending more time with my iPad. Um, this this week uh, I've been doing a bunch of research on some music stuff. Um, I have uh, this this little Yamaha. Um, electronic drum 
um, pad thing. It's the uh, Yamaha DTX Multi 12, which essentially is uh, a 12 pad. It's you know it's about the size. Uh, I would say it's maybe 16 inches square, 16 by 16, and you know maybe I don't know five six inches tall. Uh, you stick it on a stand. It has um, 12 dedicated um, pads on it and a bunch of inputs and outputs on it so that you can attach addition, additional pads to it and what have you. But it also has an onboard um, sampler, uh, so you can import your own sounds and play them along with um, sounds that the unit comes with on its own. It's a really nice little unit. Um, you hook up some pedals to it, and it can essentially become uh, a little drum set in a box. Uh, I can the, the fact that I can put the entire thing together you know with pedals cables uh, even a stand to hold the whole thing up uh in, into a backpack is, is is super super cool uh so i i actually use it for going to sort lower key rehearsals like we can actually rehearse in someone's apartment with this which is kind of nice uh and i also it's also my primary instrument uh in the diddy committee which is a band that i've been playing in for the past couple of years which is more of an electronic um weird band than a traditional you know bass, drums, guitar, rock and roll kind of band. And um, the one crucial um, setback to this little Yamaha device is that it only has 64 megabytes uh, of onboard sample. 64 megabytes? Know, right? It's like, what what happened, dudes? You, you know, even... When did this thing come like out? 2009. <laughs> you know, 2000... Okay, that's just it's sad. It's pretty sad. I don't know what they were thinking. I mean, even if it was 640 megabytes... That would right. be fine, but 64 is so it's just so limiting. Now, fortunately, I've, I've been pretty, pretty crafty with the way I've been importing my sounds. You know, I'm, I'm, everything's mono, and I'm using <clears throat> sometimes in some cases I'm using 8-bit instead of 16-bit just to sort of keep the sounds small. Um, but you know, 30, 40 patches in, you know, of, of different unique sounds, uh, I'm starting to run out of space. So as I'm you know, waiting for the next generation. I'm hoping that that Yamaha decides to release, you know, I don't know, a Mark II or whatever the heck, how they name it, um, another one like this. And I'm I'm certain they're going to correct that that oversight, you know, in the next version. Why not just put an SD card slot? Something, right? I mean, don't even get me started. <laughs> but um, yeah. so I, you know, I've been doing some research and trying to figure out a way to expand on this thing to get more sounds because I really like the the layout and I, I'm really comfortable with the way you program it and it's you know it's. It's not perfect, but I've gotten to know it really well, and it works really well for me. Um, so uh, it occurred to me that if I got myself an external sampler, uh, essentially a, a box that could hold a bunch of sounds uh, that spoke even just basic MIDI, you know, just something that I could literally just use. I could plug it into the MIDI port on the back of the, the Yamaha and then tell the Yamaha, okay, grab, you know, uh, you know note 22 you know, and put it on this pad, and that you know, then I'd have a ton more sounds. You know, uh, the problem is nobody seems to make uh, a really simple, little, inexpensive sampler. Uh, and I understand. I mean, it's a pretty special, special case. Most most people don't. I think a lot of people are using computers. Yeah, for that. it, that's definitely the most common thing. It's like you, you know, and and to, to Yamaha's credit, this does have two USB ports, um, male and female, or essentially, or you know, uh, in and out. So you can. Act, it does speak the, the the new standard USB MIDI protocol. So you can literally just plug it into a computer, fire up uh, a soft synth or, you know, any music app that speaks MIDI and start triggering sounds immediately. It's pretty sweet. Um, but here's the thing, man. I just do not like having a computer um, as part of my rig. I don't like, um, 
it's one thing when you're you know you're programming and you're setting up sounds and getting it ready, but for, for, for you know for performance and for rehearsals and all that other stuff, I just don't like having to drag around a whole computer. It's just it's just too much work, and it, it, it there's too many things that can go wrong. You know, there's something really satisfying about just having a little box that you plug in, you turn it on, and that's it. There's nothing to it. You know, it does one thing and it does it really well and you don't have to worry about it. And it's small, you know, and I like, I like having something small. The, the, the backpack that I use to carry this um, kit around is one of the Kelty backpacks that I'm also fond of. Um, doesn't have enough room, wouldn't have enough room for a laptop in it. Um, I suppose if I got a really, really small netbook or something, you know, one of those sorts of things, like I could cram it in. But I do have room for an iPad in the front pocket. I can just, just squeeze an iPad in there. And uh, so it occurred to me, I'm like, well, well, geez, this iPad essentially has, you know, all of the qualities of a, of a laptop as far as the user interface is concerned and the, the processing power uh, and even some of the storage. Because, again, I don't really need a ton of space. I just need a little bit more. Uh, so I'm like, someone out there must have written an application that can serve this pur- purpose, like, you know, essentially like a drum machine that speaks MIDI um, that I can uh, that I can trigger from. And uh, sure enough, there are a handful of pretty neat looking iOS apps out there that, uh, that, that do have that feature. But the problem I'm running into now, um, is latency. Uh, I, I did pick up the, the Apple USB camera connection kit, which is a little $30 pair of dongles that you can get for your iPhone or your I, um, your iPad. One of them is a, is a simple SD slot you know, on one end in the iPad connector on the other. And the other one is a USB, a female USB port. Well, you get both for 29 yeah, bucks. You get both. The kit comes with both. Um, and a lot of people have been able to use the USB thing, you know, the USB port dongle for all sorts of things, uh, from like plugging in microphones to MIDI devices, to cameras, to, you know, all sorts of other peripherals. Uh, it basically gives your, your iPod or iPad, um, a USB port. And with the latest reversion, uh, revision of the OS and the latest versions of like GarageBand and some of these other music apps, um, Apple has implemented uh, Core MIDI, which is you know a, a sort of a background service um, that allows you to do just what I'm talking about. Essentially, plug in a you know controller of some sort and trigger sounds. And for the most part, it's really really cool. But again, the downside is latency. And latency, by what I mean, is like you hit the the, the, the trigger, you know, like in, in my case, I'd be hitting a pad with a stick. And the time from when the stick hits the pad to the sound coming out of the speaker is just long enough uh, to be super frustrating and, and un, unplayable. <laughs> so where's where's the latency? It's, it's, it's coming from the it's, it's MIDI. It's MIDI latency is what it is. Okay. So, so the problem is, and it's gotten to the point where it's so, it's close. Like I could, f- theoretically, I could record, like if I were programming a part in, I could, I could deal with it. You know, if it's like, you're just playing this one little bit and, and then, you know, then you can scooch it or, or make adjustments if you need to. But if you're talking about playing it live or playing in a, in a band or playing on stage, it, the timing, happen. it's, it's just too off. It's, it's sort of like akin really to funny that there, that, 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 that is that much of an it, issue. <laughs> well, so wait, it's, it's, you're doing, you're doing USB into the iPad. Correct. So I'm I'm using and the the Yamaha's USB MIDI port, plugging it into the iPad uh, camera connection kit via the USB dongle, and then. So it sounds like it's sort of it, that that it's something in the MIDI implementation inside the iPad. That's 
or, my hunch. Or how, how quickly the sampler is actually playing based it's on It's possible. Input. The other thing I, I – so, so this is what I've been doing. I've been doing a lot of research, and um, the consensus that I've seen to have found online is that as good as the USB connection kit with USB MIDI is, it's not as good as a dedicated MIDI interface. And there are a handful of them out there. Um, which essentially, you know, again, you plug this this interface into the iPad dock connector, and it actually has a proper five pin MIDI connector on it. And then they're saying if you use this, and then talk to your 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 controller's MIDI port, and forget about USB MIDI, just use MIDI MIDI, uh, old school MIDI. Um, the latency issues are nowhere near as bad. And so now I'm on the you know in the process of figuring out how it's I want to. It's kind of amazing that. that there is any MIDI latency at all in any of these systems. Yeah, it's sort of frustrating. I mean, considering the fact that there wasn't really a lot of MIDI latency in the '80s. Or yeah, it's pretty sad. With with one megahertz processors. Yeah, it's super you know. annoying. <laughs> so, yeah. It's so odd. so yeah. Now I'm in the process of researching MIDI interfaces for uh, iOS use, and I, I haven't settled right. on anything yet. But uh, that's that's what's been new <laughs> since you asked. That's what's been on my mind yeah, yeah. lately is just uh, reading about MIDI and uh, and iOS. All right. Well, I I will be interested to hear what you come well, up with. I'll let you know. Uh, yeah. I mean, there's a lot of things you can do with the iPad that I haven't even really gotten into just because. But at a certain point, you end up with this like Rube Goldberg machine to try to get something to do something that should be pretty simple. You know? well, let's start. That's how it all starts, man. And then things get simplified, you know. Yeah. <sighs> All right. Well, let's wrap this thing up. Oh, I did wanted mm-hmm. to say that uh, I had a couple more people uh, make donations. Sweet. This week, which was very nice of Thanks. all of you. Thanks. Uh, so, you know, we love that you help support the show and we like doing the show. So, uh, again, uh, if you go to circuitous.tv, that's the website. Mm-hmm where you can uh, check out the show notes, make comments. Over on the right-hand side, there's a donate button, a PayPal button. So if you want to give us five bucks or whatever, uh, that is awesome. Mm -hmm. Uh, Or if you don't want to give us five bucks, but you want to give us money, there is a link down below that to enter Amazon via our uh, affiliate link, which means that anything you buy from Amazon then, Amazon gives us money and it doesn't cost you a cent. So that would be very helpful as well. I, I should have done that. I just bought something on Amazon a minute ago. It's like getting a free discount for us. Yep. Bu- buying stuff on Amazon with an affiliate code of your own. Totally. Even. I should totally do that. Yeah. I need to set it up. So uh, if you want to get a hold of us, it's circuitousconversations at gmail.com. Mm-hmm. We are at Bill Wadman and at Dan Gottesman on mm-hmm. Twitter. And again, circuitous.tv is the website. Yep. Anything else we forget? Mm. Nope. <laughs> okay. I'm gonna, we're going to try to get a, a guest for next week. I have a few people that are possibilities. Sweet. So let me see who I can, who can get, and we'll, uh, we'll have a little something different. Love it. All right. Take catch care. you later. Right. Right on.